Welcome back to the Artverse Commerce Podcast, now presented by Masters in Motion. It has been uh, almost two years since our last episode, which is just wild, but it's been a nice hiatus and we are back, back better than ever. Uh, now, obviously, with the presenting partner, Masters in Motion, uh, John Connor and Christina Valdivioso are my good friends who run that. They are now also producing this podcast. Uh, for those who don't know, Masters in Motion is a three-day filmmaking conference that happens down in Austin every December. And um, some of the biggest names in film come down to be guest speakers, put on presentations, and also simply just hang out. Honestly, that's some of the best reasons for going is that, you know, you can uh, buy a beer for the DP of Game of Thrones and pick his brain. And the best part is they are, they're down, they're friendly, and they, they, they enjoy that aspect of it too. So it's, it's very communal. A lot of ASC cinematographers, a lot of ACE editors, some of the biggest production designers in the world. For example, Wes Anderson's production designer, to name a few. And um, it's just an awesome experience to go. And we'll be uh, talking about them more as, uh, at, with every new episode. In addition, what's great about the partnership is that we now have access to their Rolodex and to all the people over the years who have gone that uh, they have become friends with and that we have now this um, relationship with. We can we can uh, reach out to them and hopefully sit down with a lot of them to do these podcasts. And so with that, you know, the podcast in this new form is taking on some new shapes. I think it'll definitely uh, still be conversations about people's history and how they how they got to this point in time, but also with some of the bigger people. Uh, you know, I'd love to break down some of the f- most famous scenes that they've been a part of as, um, as cinematographers or production designers and hear the challenges and be able to talk about um, scenes that we all know and love and hear it from the people who made them. And I think that's going to be uh, an interesting addition to the show. And so uh, this week is we're going to be launching two to kick things off. And I, I like that because I, I, I wanted to kind of show where we've come from, and also where we're going. So the first of the two is with a, a friend of the pod. He's been here uh, before, which is crazy because it was four years ago, but uh, director Ryan Booth, in our last conversation, it, he was at a turning point at that time between being a pretty major DP to directing, and so much has happened for him in that time. Now he's a rep director on Pulse Films um, roster, and um, the journey that he's been on is what we go through, and we kind of take a look back at the conversation that he had, and last time, and the way that he thought things would go, and where he, you know, where all of his beliefs lied at that time, and how over these four years, what's changed, what stayed the same, what's been reinforced, and what he's learned. And so that that is an interesting uh, discussion. And then uh, the following episode, episode forty-two, is with Philip Humans, who uh, is a nineteen-year-old who just won Tribeca. His story is incredible, and I'll. I'll you know, dive more into that um, in the opening for that one. But I just wanted to state that we are opening up this new run with a double feature and we're super excited about it. You know, I think that um, looking back on why it was so uh, difficult to continue is that I was doing it by myself last time. And, you know, podcasts, is, it's a it's a project that never ends. You you put in the work, you get one done, you put it up, and you're expected to put another one up the next week. And it becomes relentless, and it becomes um, tiring. And I'm also a working professional cinematographer, and it's it's hard to juggle. But now with 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 the help of producers, uh, the game has changed, and we are going to be able to uh, deliver at a higher end uh, more consistently. And so for that, I'm just super grateful. 
to them and the the partnership that we have because it's, it's also great to do things with good friends and that that's who John and Christina are to me. Um, and so I, I mentioned I don't talk a lot about myself on the podcast, but just so I'm, I assume that we're going to get a, a bunch of new listeners. Uh, I'm a cinematographer, and in the past two years, while things were off, I was able to um, DP a short film that premiered at Tribeca, and it is now going to be this month's, the June issue of American Cinematographer. It is going to be the uh, the short takes article, and we are just, I'm just so floored by that and honored by that. And um, it's been nice because in these past two years, Part of the reason that I wanted to take a step back was to really be able to do more in the cinematography realm, and, and it's amazing to see how that's worked out. And so it's exciting, and also it's kind of given me a new direction for the podcast stuff because I kind of, you know, as we're starting to talk to bigger and bigger people, I think the goal is that I just want to ask about things that I want to know as a DP talking to these people, whether that be a production designer or an editor, um, as well as obviously cinematographers, that... Um, I think, like in most art, if you make it personal and you make it detailed and you make it that thing about you, it ends up becoming universal. Um, and that's what I think is going to happen here. And I, I think you'll, you'll hear that uh, difference in the conversations we had. And so Ryan Booth has been on an unbelievable, an unbelievable journey over the last four years. It was great to uh, catch up with him and dive into it and hear all about it. And um, I think there's no one more fitting to connect where we've been as a podcast, where we're going in the future to hear about Ryan's journey. And so here we are. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, I'm so excited to be jumping back into the ring. Uh, episode 41 with Ryan Booth. So we were we were just talking before we got off that you had also listened to it and some thoughts were already crossing through your mind. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What, what was crossing <laughs> through your mind? No, I mean, I think the last time we talked, it was like a very... It just was um, an incredibly transitional moment in my career I think I was I that was kind of the most active kind of moment of going all right the DPing like I can feel the DP stream pushing in this direction and I'm looking going but I kind of still like I I do think that the, the directing is I I want to be working on the directing and I could just see the paths starting to separate and the DP stream was moving pretty quickly at that point um, and so it just felt like yeah because at the time you were saying that the DP opportunities were bigger they which, were which made that a harder decision because certainly that's more enticing yeah well and and I think you know what what I didn't know then that I do know now is that really progression in your career a lot of times happens you make something that catches the interest of what I call the infrastructure people so agents producers managers etc 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 and these are amazing people who to be completely frank you cannot accomplish the bigger ideas that you have without infrastructure people coming around you it's just not possible oh yeah and so at it's the another t- way of saying gatekeeper right? gatekeeper uh, gatekeeper but, but or that's a stickier word i don't know if it's gatekeeper because it's not it's not it's that you need basically people who believe in what you're trying to accomplish and will use their considerable creativity and effort as a way to help you accomplish those things how about enabler 
Enablers. Yes, that's a good, I think that's a good phrase. Um, but, but basically the DP enablers yeah. were like, we're, we're into this. Like, let's do it. Like, we, we love, like, your particular vision and what you bring to the table as a DP. So, like, we're going to work really hard to do the things that we need to do to help get you the opportunities that move forward. Yeah. And I just, looking back, I had both hands out basically saying stop saying stop what was the internal thing on that because there must be there must be this because that's obviously super exciting and you're someone who has been crafting images while holding a camera for a long time yeah so the fact that there is something internal that's putting up a red flag that's like a super interesting internal headspace yeah no it was like very uncomfortable headspace for, for a while it was just kind of like I don't know why I like I felt like um I was like self-sabotaging you know that that like I was For sure yeah it must you know be. like that I was uh doing something wrong like that I was trying to burn my own life down or something um and I mean I mean I mean I'm exaggerating but it definitely felt like there were two, there was there was one opportunity in particular um that was just DPing second unit for like a really big commercial and it was the first time that it was like a director who did not know me like my agent had kind of gone to bat to get me an opportunity the a unit was like an asc dp a a true industry gig yeah and it was like do this because you know like it'll be this is how we kind of get things to the next level and it was like the opportunity, I remember the opportunity was like maybe three weeks, you know, it was like three week job. I was going to have to be gone. And it was like, and you have to decide today and you have to leave three days from now, you know, and Incredible I just for the was career like, and also a, a lot of money. I'm sure. Yeah, too. it was good money. Yeah. And it was like, there's things on the table. It was here. definitely like, okay, this is probably, and I just remember like feeling like I can't, I cannot commit to doing this because Basically, if I say yes to this, then there will be more and it'll be harder to say no to. And, you know, like, I feel like in retrospect, I realize, like, if I say yes to this, this is what I'm doing. Like, I'm going to be a DP, basically. What allowed you then to say no to that in terms of what you, because obviously, just from a protective standpoint to for your like self-preservation, yeah. you must feel like I, I can say no because there's something else Oh, yeah. I mean, at the same time, it's partly a leap of faith, but it's partly that I was having... So the the real rub was, at that point, Pulse had reached out, and I was starting to pitch on branded content documentaries for them, basically. Um, And so, like, right after we did the podcast, like, not long after we did the podcast, I got my first kind of, you know, email from Pulse. They started asking me to pitch on stuff. Mm -hmm. And basically the the difficulty is, is that when I'm pitching on a, if you're pitching on a project as a director, I get the brief, say, a month or five weeks before the project would theoretically start. Sure. Um, Five, six weeks even, um, uh, sometimes less, but you know, there's a definitely a, a lead up. Yeah, because right? you got to, the I gotta, whole process Now I got to like, I have to get on the phone with them. I yeah. have to make my treatment and it's a, you know, for me it's a, week to 10 days of kind of active pitching and then a week of waiting and then I find out and then I get the job and now it's two three weeks of prep until I leave to go then do the job and so to do that was happening while I would get a phone call hey in two days can you leave for three weeks and so I might have already and and often would be in the midst of pitching on something that's got a five-week window that I may or may not get 
while at the same time I'm being asked to like leave tomorrow for a two week job. And like those two things were just not compatible. The basically. only time it could be compatible is if you're directing DPing together, like your own project. Doing my own thing. That's yep. it. Exactly. Which is ultimately what ended up happening. Yeah. Um, but basically it just was like, and this one I was in the midst of pitching on a small, not cool, like branded content documentary that I was going to direct. And then this DP opportunity kind of came up and I just was like, I can't, you know, do the DP one. I can't do the DP one. Yeah. Cause I, I've, you know, it was a step down the rung from, um, from a, quite a few steps down the rung. <laughs> yeah. 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 To do the directing, to do the stuff. directing oh, stuff. Oh man, massive step down. Yeah. But what was your thought process that gave you the gumption? Cause obviously you would only really make that jump to a lower rung if you felt at some point you can get back up to a higher rung. Right. Yeah, where yeah. where was that belief coming from? Um, you know, I think, again, in retrospect, I feel like since I got into filmmaking a bit later than most, in the sense that I like did six years of audio engineering first. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think when I got into filmmaking, the, the, the impulse was get in to like just get on set as quickly as possible and as often as possible. And I think because I had a a visual background, because I care about the visuals, because I was doing photography as well prior to filmmaking, it was the most natural kind of fit for me to DP, basically. That's just kind of where I landed, more or less, was like I learned very quickly that I could kind of translate my eye into a particular set of skills and DP'd like, and I think it became an amazing opportunity for me to be as close as possible to the actors and to the director yeah. and everybody making decisions about how things are being put together. Yeah. And, um, the momentum and, just took you. Yeah. Yeah. The momentum just took me for four years basically. And to be honest with you, to back up mm-hmm. when I signed with my agent, I knew I shouldn't, I knew it was wrong. Like Your I knew DP I shouldn't. Agent. Have, yeah. My DP agent. I was like, I should not sign because I can, I feel like my DPing, like, I feel like I'm about like a senior about to graduate from college. Mm. Like, and t- this is like basically signing up to stay for another, you know, couple of years, basically. Like it just felt like that DPing was naturally coming to a close. Why did you at the time? Why did I sign? Yeah. With my be- agent? Because I had, it was like, so that I could say that I had an agent. Because I've like spent the last couple of years going like, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Like, why have I not attracted an agent yet? Mm. And so I think, and so they, they val- charmed validation. me. And it was definitely like, um, it was validation. And kind of like, it felt like I didn't want to leave the DP thing behind having never kind of gotten to that level, basically. Right. You know? And then, of course, like, it, it didn't, I mean, signing with an agent doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like, you well, know. Well, no, I, I know what you mean, but like, it doesn't, it doesn't. It, it doesn't, it, it has, doesn't, it, but, it has you know, both, but I mean, all the projects I got after signing with my agent basically came from me. From you as well. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. So it was definitely like, um, yeah, it was an interesting... But I knew it was, I knew it was like uh, the DPing. I mean, honestly, what it was, was the Revenant project with Elliot. That mm-hmm. was a, a massive kind of moment of going like, I think it's time to move on because, um, and I don't know, I mean, 
we can talk to Elliot about how much we're allowed to talk about. But basically, right. like his wife ended up having a baby, their baby early, mm-hmm. and I ended up having to direct one of the trips. Basically, like, oh, Elliot didn't come, uh-huh. and so he basically called me and was like, "You got to step up and and do it." And that was like that kind of moment of going like, "Oh shit!" Like. I have to do it. You <laughs> Talk know? about some divine intervention. Yeah, and it just felt like, um, I think, you know, and, and it's not like it was, uh, you know, it didn't like change the course of the project no, or no, anything no. like you, that, you, but you... it was a moment of kind of going like, no, I can't, like I can, I can do this. And like a director that I very much kind of respect and admire and uh, is a good friend basically said, you know, you can do it too. And I think that that was kind of a big moment for me. Yeah. Of going like, okay, I think it's probably time to start putting one foot in front of the other on the directing side of things. Yeah, because in the last, in the last, when we sat down in 2015, you had described yourself as a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. And it's, would, would like a manifestation of that be that you, there's just a certain amount of waiting or like a certain amount of things need to be in place before you feel comfortable that might require more than, than most. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I, I like, I marinate on things for quite some time before I kind of step forward. I mean, seems so, like a positive. I think it's positive because I, I feel like for me, my, I have always had the kind of like, um, the long-term focus basically, like the things I'm, I'm thinking about the longevity of my career, not the kind of immediate, like, what am I doing tomorrow? Um, and so for me, like, I know that like a couple of years, you know, spent DPing or, you know, even the, the time in the recording studios, I'm like, I feel like this is all part of building something that's sustainable that will, you keep an eye to, on the macro. I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. that, that, that seems like a much better way, especially too for stress. Well, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, you're just trading in different... It's a different kind of stress, which is Fair. like, my God, are things ever going to yeah. <laughs> move forward? No. It's yeah. the entire world passing me by, you know? A 19-year-old won Tribeca two days ago, that. you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe I'll make a feature one day, you know? Um, it's that kind... You know, it's like, that's the, the stress that you trade, which is like, you know, time's not slowing down. It's like, no. Is there, what is the kind of like relationship to making things and being, getting older, basically? I think that's a question I, the stress comes from like uh, being a, you know, a late bloomer or someone who needs to marinate for a while. Like that's the trade-off for sure is that you just end up being older than everybody else that's doing things at the same time as you, you know? Yeah. I mean, I could see that becoming a surefire strength. I mean, in terms of what you're bringing to the table experience-wise, yeah, I mean, like, how much I will you find say, you're leaning into that? I mean, I think, to be honest with you, like, my experience in the last two years of kind of... So, basically, like, the last two years, I've basically just spent pitching on commercials, like, proper kind of, you know, 60-second TV commercials. Yeah. Um, and that is an enormous amount of effort and strategy involved in like cracking that club basically it's yeah. like there is and it's hyper specific it's to, very to just specific that. um and the infrastructure people pulse people around me like it required and my i mean i have like agents and reps now and the mm-hmm, whole thing mm-hmm. and it's like that there is like very specific kind of strategy and effort that is applied to kind of helping get me 
in the room, at which point then it's on me to close. But like getting me in the door is literally like takes a lot of Herculean time and effort. effort. Yeah. yeah. And it's like and and it's been really amazing to see, um, I think, and, and to be a part of because I think that, um, you know, I have an, a profound respect for EPs and producers and reps and all of these people like sure. who are incredibly creative and talented people who have chosen to kind of express their creativity through, you know, essentially like navigating an industry, which I think is very fascinating. Um, I've just met some really cool people that you're like, oh, that's how things happen. It is Like literally that's how things happen is like these people these have pe- decided yeah. to help make it happen. Like it doesn't happen without them. It, it literally is, doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it is fascinating because I think in the beginning, um, a lot of people take up different roles, but they might not necessarily want those roles. A lot of people might be producing, but they actually want to be directing. Mm-hmm. But at the higher levels of the game, you're finding people that are like, I'm producing because I want to be the best producer possible. Yeah. And it's quite interesting to like realize, especially once you get to know them and you hang out with them, like, oh, like you're like a producer through and through. You're like, it's a part of your personality. And it, it, that stuff starts to make sense where people are leaning into whatever their personality traits are and strengths are. Yeah. Um, it's nice to be in a room where everyone's wearing a different hat, but it's the hat they actually want to wear. Yeah. There's a lot sure. of power when you're surrounded by everybody who is feeling that way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's been a really interesting couple of years. It's put into perspective what my job is. You know, like my job isn't kind of building the you know, the tracks, basically, like my job is propelling myself forward. um, And, and finding and working with people who can kind of help lay the track ahead of where we're going, you know. Um, And so I think that's been, it's been an interesting couple of years. Well, and then also within that transition, you're not DPing your work anymore. And now you're working with with, you know, major DPs, who obviously, you know, they're at this upper echelon as well, since they're the ones shooting these massive projects. How is it? being that that's how you came into that you came up in the industry that what do you think you've gleaned from working with DPs at that caliber on your jobs who are the ones with the camera in the hand for your vision essentially yeah what has that been like in terms of a learning process yeah it's been it's been it definitely well I'll back up because basically what happened was for the first year that I was kind of pitching and and directing commercials i was dping everything that i won basically because with pulse with pulse because basically that was the interesting well that was like the the hook like of why they were i was even getting in the room is like um that makes like sense. ryan like, it's a selling point he, yeah it's a selling point he came from dping like he's he like you can start having a cr- creative conversation about the visuals like right now you know in the earliest pitch they leaned you into know it. and they they leaned into it and knew that that was the thing that would differentiate me from x y or z director that i'm pitching against mm-hmm. um and because, you know, most agencies on set for commercial are like, you know, they shove them in Video Village, like way far away from set, but they get to come talk to the director a lot of times. And so if the director's holding the camera on the set, like then the agency gets to come in on the set, like in the middle of everything that's happening, you know? Oh, wow. And yeah. so that's like a real, Anyways, yeah. that's a exciting thing for the agency to like feel like they are like really, truly get to be in the midst of like the making 
the yeah. film part. And so Pulse, made you very attractive. It made me attractive. Pulse really leaned into it, and like I almost died. <laughs> it was so hard. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. It well, was I just like be, I mean, they're they're far away from set for a reason. Yeah, it was so hard. It and it wasn't even the agency creative. It was just like I was starting to finally understand because documentaries. You know, I say all the time, the DP is co-directing a documentary for sure. Yes. Um, where you put the camera is the language that you're using to tell the story um, on the as a DP. Uh, uh, sorry, on documentaries, you're determining the perspective. Like you're like a critical role. So when I do documentaries now, I tend to still operate, operate the camera, just because I feel like you're you're writing. That's cool. As you're but you have a DP who might be like lighting things. Yes. Still? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for nice. sure. But so, you know, I was for a while, um, kind of not long after we talked, and then when I was kind of getting more into directing, uh, you kind of start with branded documentaries, and I was I was DPing everything I was directing, and it was like, how hard is this? And then once I got into the commercials where you have a bunch of actors, it was like, oh my god, it's really hard. It's like two different ways of thinking, and like doing both at the same time was just really overwhelming and basically uh a year and a half ago i took or almost two years ago i took a directing actors class Mm. basically where um here it was here being new york uh, new york yep here in new york um it's basically like a meisner acting technique but for directors like to communicate with actors and i i literally told the teacher is that a school no no it was just like a um i'm totally blanking on her name um um, Andrea something. She's a, she just teaches workshops for directors. Gotcha. Basically. It's not connected to like a school. No, no, no. It's just literally like a workshop. I met her at the music bed film festival. She like taught a breakout and I was like, who are you and what is this? Yeah. Um, and so, um, it was amazing. And so I, d- I took her like week long course and it was like, it totally, I literally told her when I finished the course, I was like, for the first time I realized that I cannot DP projects that I'm directing. Fascinating. Like, I've never understood that conceptually until now because I did not understand how much work the director needs to be putting into the project that like it's not the same. It's not just like I just like truly had never understood like mm. the job of directing mm. until like taking this class. Well, especially narratively. So hard. Because that adds a different thing altogether. It's a whole the, different the, the thing. The theatrical aspects yep. with dealing with the actors yep. is is a whole world unto itself. And I mean, in DP, I'm sorry, in, in documentary stuff, there's more of a blend. There is, for sure. Well, and you're not, you may not step in as much. I think a lot of the directing comes with choosing where you're going to film and when you're going to film. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times it's kind of structurally deciding how you're going like how the scenes might start to fit together it's almost like the directing happens before you get to set mm-hmm. in a lot of ways mm-hmm. on and a documentary after. and after for sure you're sitting with the editor yeah and like um but production itself production on a big commercial or a narrative thing is like there is an enormous amount i mean i'd say all the time there is this there is this distinct moment where everybody you've been working with all of these people, your casting director, your production designers, your DPs, like your producers, and like everything is leading to like plop you onto set basically. And there is always a moment in which like everybody in the whole room, every actor, every crew person, every agency person, everybody looks at you and you can tell it's the moment of like Now what? Now what? Yeah. Exactly. And you're just like 
Woo. Man, it's just like a, you know, but it happens every single, and it's like, that's, that's literally the job. Like in that moment, it is your job to say, this is what we're going to do. You're, tra- um, you're steering the ship. You're steering the ship, man. And that's like, that's a very, um, like an experience you can only get better by doing. And so that's like, it's been an interesting couple of years of like, yeah, having that moment on bigger and bigger projects, basically. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's like with anything with, with more reps that that moment becomes, yeah. Yeah. feels more familiar yeah. and is less deer in headlights, but getting, getting back yeah, to yeah, like, this, no, no, so no, the, the, great the tangent. Point, the point of all of that was, <laughs> no, I loved it. After the acting revelation. Yeah. I was like, Okay, I need to start my 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 relationship with DPs need to fundamentally change. Starting with the relationship with myself as a DP, which yeah, is crazy. Ryan's going to get fired unless <laughs> it's a really like specific purpose, you mm. know. And so like DP Ryan got put on the shelf basically. And so um so yeah, it's been a really interesting navigation to learn kind of how to collaborate with DPs. And I remember talking to Reed Murano, um, we were doing the music bed documentary and, and, um, I like in between takes, I just sat down and was like, cause this was right. Like I remember around, you telling me this, right. And she, she basically was like, yeah, when I did my first feature, the reason I did it was because I couldn't afford a DP who was better than me basically. And so I knew that like bringing someone else on would actually slow me down, you know, for the first film basically. And so I used to think about like only bringing on DPs, I think, who were like, yeah, we're probably about the same, you know, mm. like we're about at the same caliber now from DP. Like and now it's like, you. oh shit, I need to bring on people who are better than me. Yeah. And that like makes me, th- now these are DPs who work with other directors who are better than me too. Mm. And like there's this just kind of layer of like vulnerability that happened. Yeah. That was the main hurdle, I think, of working with DPs was like realizing how vulnerable it is to bring someone into your kind of inner circle Mm -hmm. and realize like they a lot of people on set might not be fooled but like or or might be kind of like oh not really know what's going on he's gonna gonna know gonna call my bullshit and know exactly like if i'm good or not or if i'm floundering or not and like it was just a very kind of vulnerable experience to kind of go like all right i need to hire dp who's better than me who's really great they're gonna know if i'm any good at this directing thing or not in a part in a part of them (laughs) in a part of them being better than you at the dping aspect Mm -hmm. That must have been an interesting moment, either because of the way in which they're prepping or maybe the way in which they're approaching a literal scene on set that would be different than your DP instinct. And in that moment, like, I would imagine that there's this internal tension of like, that's not how I would be doing it. Like, I want to say something, but then another side of you might be thinking, yeah, but maybe that's why he's better than me or she's better than me at this. Mm -hmm. So like... How do you deal with that internal conversation of when you're seeing a DP do something that you might not necessarily think is the way, but like other indicators are saying, but maybe let them do it because right. that's why they're here. Yeah. That's a very interesting conundrum, no? It is a very interesting conundrum. I would say what what's interesting is that my DP background makes it so that I have, we have more frequent check-ins, basically. I've noticed, and in conversations with other DPs, a lot of times a, a DP can get pretty far down the road before a director is going to start checking their work, basically. Mm. For me, when I see, I ask to see the lighting list when the DP turns in the lighting list. Oh, you I must have be my, a joy. No, no, I have my producer <laughs> send me the lighting list because yeah. it, 
I and not to talk about units. Oh, I know. I was, I was joking. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, literally, not to talk about units. It's like reading the Matrix, though, because I like look at the lighting list and go, okay, I think we're like we don't need to have any more conversation. Like I've communicated the like top line well enough that like the way that they're like ordering the gear. You're looking at like the DNA that they're setting up for yeah, the shoot. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, got it. Or I'll ask a question and be like, hey, I noticed we don't have any of this on there. Do you envision, like, when we get to this scenario or this scene, like, are That's you pushing great. in? Are you pu- are we pushing in light from outside? Or, like, how are we going to, like, how is that going to... Your ability like, to read that sheet correctly yes. allows you to have that kind of convo, which is awesome, actually. Yeah. It's really... I, I've found it to be the most helpful yeah, moment can, because we can start... Because my entire experience of filmmaking as a director pitching on a commercial is theoretical until, like, through... I'm saying, we could do this and we're going to do this and this is how I would approach that and blah, 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 up until you win the job and then it's just a cold rush of practicalities, you know, mm. just like... Mm-hmm. And so that transition from theoretical to practical can be, like, a pretty serious whiplash, you know? Yes. Like, like and so I think for it's me... It's an excellent way of describing the whole and thing. And, like, for me to be able to kind of use the immediate first rounds of practicality as a way of going like okay is the theoretical translating like i feel like i can navigate the brackish waters of oh yeah and that lighting you know, list is rubber meeting the road it is because this is the first because me and the dp have been That's talking literally how it's gonna you're gonna make it look the way you want yeah, it to look exactly and so so that part i think that part's good i would say you know the the main thing that i talk with my dps well there's two kinds one like um I brought Matt Ballard on to DP a, a small Nike commercial that I did, um, and I love Matt. Matt DP'd a few things for me that I um, just really loved. Like his, like he's a really difficult DP to work with in the sense that he just wants more from me all the time. Like, why this? What does this mean? Like, what are we gonna do here? You know, like he just is he constantly wants the underlying yeah, philosophy. Yeah, he's just from like you? yes, and mm. he's like constantly like. He just is a bottomless pit. I get that. You know, I understand that. And like, I, it's really difficult as a director if you're not quite sure what some of the whys are. I mean, this is literally, I think, what you were describing in terms of potentially a DP spotting or sniffing out bullshit. For sure. Like, if you you don't have an answer, he's like, well, then why, then why do you do it? Yeah, 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 exactly. And so I think that like he's, he's a very like, I, I love that about him. Like he's unrelenting in that way. Mm. And my approach with him was to start shooting film as quickly as possible because it was taking out my kind of like, we were getting hung up on some of the practicalities, you know? What do you mean? How are we going to light this? What units are we going to use? Where are we putting the camera here or there? Maybe I'm not communicating clearly enough. So just give me the camera and I'll show you, you know, like he DP'd a few of the projects that I did at the beginning the first kind of bits of transitional, like now I'm not DPing anymore, I'm just directing. And like I shot film with him a few times so that a lot of the like physical kind of practicalities of DPing, I was literally not, I did not know how, like I did not, uh, I don't know how to expose film properly. I don't know how to load. I don't know how long we have. Oh, so you I don't tactically know took some things off your plate off my that plate you don't that understand. I could, so that I physically couldn't like control. control it. And then we only could talk conceptually, you know, about 
this is the quality of light or this is the kind of movement or, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the monitor wasn't even like good enough to really get nitpicky about anything. Right, it was right. just like, can I literally, can I like take out of my brain what I'm trying to accomplish and put it in him yeah. and let him translate that to well, this is an image? Because this goes directly to a question that I wanted to ask I, I, when I was listening to our last talk. You spoke a lot about like what matters the most to you as you were on some sort of ascendancy then, and obviously it's progressed since, is that no matter what, you wanted to make sure that at the end it still looked like a Ryan Booth product. Yes, yeah. And obviously when you're taking the camera out of your hands and also the lighting plan out of your hands, uh-huh. that's let alone all of the other things that have gotten more convoluted because of the bigger players involved. Yep. How at this stage does it remain that? That's a good question. I don't know the answer, but I do know that it's still, it's that my DNA is like not being separated from the things that I make. I think part of it is that I'm cast- You're achieving it. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, literally I got a text message. I just did an ESPN commercial that's been out for a bit. And uh, I got, I cannot tell you how many text messages I got from people going like, Hey, did you work on this? You know, they just oh, saw great. it in a bar in wherever like and you. we're like did you work on this i mean like, yes i did but i didn't touch a camera i never you know like i didn't i didn't edit it i didn't you know like that but it was like conceived like the you know it was my project i don't know how that happens i, th- I think part of it is realizing that directing is making choices and those choices start long before you get to set sure and of so the cake is baked a lot of times by the time you get to set, then mm. it's my job to pick the right collaborators as well who like we share a similar taste or we share a similar point of view or or that their particular point of view in combination with my like uh, focus on a particular moment in the story or actors in combination will then still feel like a thing that I made but also a thing that they made and like, I don't know, there is, it's a bit of a magic trick. I'm not really sure. <laughs> it was interesting because I did two commercials and I, I like unfortunately can only talk about commercials now because that's really what I've, like Been in doing. retrospect, the last two years, it's taken two years of sustained effort to get to a point where I can say I make my living like directing commercials. Mm-hmm. And now I've kind of am turning my attention to film and TV, but I'm literally at the same place now on the film and TV side that I was when we talked last time about well, commercials. I'll catch you in three years exactly we'll, we'll see if i'm like yeah we'll see your if future I'm, uh, success yeah that's right <laughs> but i would say um yeah it was really interesting i worked with um i did this <laughs> i did a jewelry commercial with uh, natalie kingston while i was simultaneously prepping and then went directly into directing a grape juice commercial with a dp named isaac bauman that is up for an aicp award. yeah yeah um which is awesome but like isaac it was basically like, can you make making grape juice look like a horror film? Yeah. Essentially was the idea. It's a great idea. Yeah, which is, they were amazing. Mean, There's like, a reason that it's nominated. Yeah, yeah, they were, I mean, what a great idea. They did such a good job. But um, but so I literally was like, who can shoot something horror. dark? Yeah. You know, because I like dark, but my dark is like, you know, still warm and gushy, you know, and no, like, his I needed is like, cold I needed and brutal dark, and like, like murder, blood on the ground, dark, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. And so, um, and so that was, it was really interesting to go from, you know, working with Natalie directly to working with Isaac. How so? Um, just because like, like Isaac's approach, like Isaac doesn't really like shooting handheld. Um, everything's very kind of like static and locked off. Um, also on like proper, 
dollies and things. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. Okay. And and like um like he likes very clean lenses and like we just but it was really interesting. It was a very um kind of conceptually difficult moment because this was a real grape juice factory. Like this these weren't sets and mm-hmm. like these were um they only harvest grape juice for 40 days and they make every bottle of grape juice that's made in the United States of America for this year is made in a 40 day period and then stored. Because wow. like yeah, that makes w- sense, once though. the grapes come off the, pl- you know, yeah. like they have a certain amount of they're time. They're in season when they're in season. They're in, they're in season. They get harvested for 40 days. They get turned into grape juice within, it has to be within six hours of coming off the branch. It's got to be grape juice. Uh-huh. Um, and so our challenge was, can you make this commercial in a grape juice factory that cannot stop? Like, and no one can like alter what's yeah, happening. You can't, you can't mess with that. But can you make it look like you built the whole thing from scratch? That was the creative challenge on that one. And like, so there was like a lot of, I think, kind of creative tension between everybody. Not, not bad tension, but just like having to like, it was just difficult Challenges. to like challenge to like make that work. Mm-hmm. And like, we, I absolutely chose the right DP. You know, I mean, like that was he was the perfect person for that. Yeah. And I know it was a, like a really difficult shoot for him, but we still walked away. I literally just uploaded both to my website to update my website and like the handful of frames from the ES from an ESPN commercial I shot with Natalie and then these grape juice frames from Isaac. And it just like they both feel like my work still, which I think is I'm very proud of that. You reality. should be. That's because I was I was I've been thinking about this in a general sense and it came to mind when I was jotting down some notes for this that like I've been on enough sets now where when I see some sort of higher end either like a three minute short film that also has branded content basically anything that is operating at a higher end that I know has agency and client involved and the aesthetic is incredibly stylistic and the choices are pushed and nothing is safe those just feel like like miracles to me because it's it requires so much um vision out of players that are involved that typically characteristically don't have the best vision which is why they hire Mm. you and they don't do it themselves yeah and it's so challenging to convince them when the vision goes to an extreme yeah and anytime that i see a final piece and the finalized piece is at the extreme i'm just like how what was that like from prep through post where at every given opportunity to make it safer, the people that really normally push for that safety were either convinced otherwise or maybe they in particular just are better than that? I don't, I, I'm amazed by it and I'm curious as to how those things happen because sometimes an incredible spot ends and I'm just like, how? How did that happen? And yeah. not not on the technical side. I, yeah, I know yeah, that yeah. part. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. how did ev- how did the forty people wearing suits at this thing right um, let it happen? Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think that's a you know it's been a the answer to the question is an idea is created way back over here and then basically gets run through a two year gauntlet or a year and a half gauntlet to the point where it then comes out. Yeah, right? you're talking all the way from like Conception. initial ideation yeah. from client. So like the agency will get commissioned from the client and they're kicking ideas around, kicking ideas yeah. around, kicking ideas around. Well, in this case, they came up with a really great idea and the client was like, that scares us. So can you do some research? Like, can you f- 
like prove that this idea is something that is worth pursuing basically and they basically got like numbers back they did all this like really amazing research on it and found out like yeah in fact this idea is like your target demo that this audit that this you know film is being created for are like they love this idea there was a specific convincing tactic yes. involved and then they take mm. it to to directors and the big kind of creative concern was should this be funny or should this be serious and so they engaged, they engaged comedic directors and then they engaged me and i said it should not be serious i mean it should not be funny it should be deadly serious and if it's deadly serious then it gets really funny basically and so that was my whole and so like i like when we were even doing the treatment i was like i want my treat i designed the treatment like it was a movie like it was movie posters mm. like and like I, I mean we worked really hard to just convey that this was like a horror film you know like we i mean i can show you the the <laughs> the the deck because it's like you know very seriously like it looks like a it looks like a trail i mean it looks like a movie poster it's amazing but then like from there basically once i get the job then they've now given me the idea and it's my job to sure. like from the second i get it from the second i'm pitching on it it's my job to take that little idea and run it through the gauntlet of everyone who's trying to like soften the blow basically yes um and that's <laughs> like but that's my that's directing like that's literally your job is to like run it through that transition from idea to real thing deposit it at the other side and hope that it's intact as possible you now, know that's the real trick that's the job and so the set stuff is like i do think that my biggest realization moving from dping to directing mm -hmm. was i had no idea how much creative work a director had done by the time we got to set like as a dp the, as a dp i had no clue really that the director was more or less 75 percent done with the project by the time we got to set mm. and so i had all of these moments as a dp where i'd be like well let's do it like this or how about we shoot it like this and the director would be like, we can't shoot it like that, or it's not going to happen like that. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense, because this is how it should be, you know? Not knowing that they had five conference calls about that exact thing, and how the client, as a contingency of them getting the job, basically was like, just don't do this one thing, right? And like, you know, whatever that may be. And like that by the time we've gotten to set, everything has kind of been designed to protect that core idea all the way through the now the last bit. And so, I, I mean, I literally went back to a bunch of the directors I'd shot for after I started directing commercials. I was like, I'm sorry. I did not realize. It's almost like when you have a kid, I did you, not realize. You, you like have a, yeah. All, all have your a, friends that you're like, you're like, uh, why couldn't you just come out? Like, it's not that late, you know. It's not that not that big of a deal. <laughs> like this yeah. apology to your own parents. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh I, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that that definitely happened. But I think that um, yeah, that <laughs> that was a big kind of realization. Um, but that your DPs, like, I think for me, the flip side of that is that I realized that the DP. And the production designer, I think, were the two kind of my closest collaborators in terms of, like, how can we further design this plan to, like, make it so that the idea comes through the other end safely, you know? Um, yeah. And, and, like, can you please help me, like, shepherd this thing? No, of course. <laughs> you know? Of course. But, uh, I was like, it is on to you to make sure that it doesn't get softened. Yeah. That requires, that's such a nuanced skill. Mm -hmm. Um 
in terms of how to like handling that politically it's a political job i mean directing especially on the commercial side of things is a political job primarily um yeah it's a like you're doing like jedi reading the room gestures of like we're not going to soften this yeah yeah and and it's like honest to god my job is mostly identifying what people's view like what their conception of success is for this particular project and engineering the process to deliver that to all of them. You're basically, you need to like Overton shift their window. Yes. Yeah. And it's a process that I'm sure is going the entire time. The whole time, 100%. And I asked that, I've like just straight up started asking that question on my calls with agencies. Like, how do you define success on this project? It's a great question. You know, and this last one I pitched on, literally the, the agency creative was like, man, it's the first, it's the first job we're doing with this client. And their last campaign was like pretty successful. So like, I just need it to be as, at least as good as last year. You know, like it just can't be worse like in than term, last like by, year. By, by, by literal hard numbers? By hard numbers. Yeah. Like it just has to be, you know, mm. and, and this is how we think it can do that. I'm like, okay, cool. Got you. Like, I, I got you. I get it. You well, know, it's like, nice to know like what, what, which things actually matter to them per yeah. project versus what might be right. negotiable. But I would say I do the same with my crew as well, especially my, my department heads primarily. It's just like what, 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 if we work on this together and... Mm-hmm you know, the thing comes out, what is it that you will have, how will you view this as a success? Like, what do you need to have had happen for it to be like, that was a worthwhile way to spend my time. Right. You know? Um, That seems like a good question to get out ahead of, because something that I wanted to bring up, because in the last episode, you you aggressively like defended your position that it makes no sense to you whenever people are like, to, to be known as someone that raises your voice to get things done. Mm, yeah. Um, and you were, you spoke passionately about that. Mm-hmm. And I was very curious that on this trip up this new ladder, yeah. um, has that been difficult to adhere to? It sounds like the tactics that you're describing right now are ways in which you um, mitigate it from happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think part of it is like working with, um, the my line producers are kind of the I would say one of the most critical relationships for me because mm-hmm. they're the like they're kind of with me every step of the entire process um, and so a lot of times it's working with good line producers who understand me as a human being um, and understand like my pressure points and because the line the line producer is ba- like if you're gonna blow up on set. <laughs> Typically, you're going to blow up at the line producer because they're the bearer of bad news. You know, yeah, ah, we don't have, we can't shoot this, we can't do that. They we are gotta, reality. You know, they're the, tapping they're you on literally the, the reality, like mm-hmm. tapping you on the shoulder. And so, um, and so, like having a, a very close relationship with my line producers and them knowing me and knowing when I'm super stressed out. Like I've had to have that conversation with a couple of my line producers of like. You know, I'm very nervous about this thing and I feel like I'm going to get really stressed out. And like, that's the moment in which I will like lose my temper, mm. you know, um, is is kind of when you're uh, super stressed and like reality well, presents itself. Self-awareness is half the battle. It is for sure. And I've gotten frustrated. I've never lost my temper on the, on well, the, gra- on, the great, on the great juice shoot it was like we had rain machines it's nighttime <laughs> and we have a massive grape harvester which takes 20 minutes to get into position and like we had one more shot to get and it was like uh we were 
I wanted to mount the camera on the back of the grape harvester to get like a close up of the grapes like wah, 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 coming through. This is this giant like terrifying machine. Yeah. <laughs> Smoke and rain and you know we we're amping it up as much as possible. And like at the last second, I like run across the field. I run a lot on set. I ran, ran across the <laughs> the field and was waiting for the reset and like was talking about what we needed to get and blah 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 and like it just I'm looking at the grape harvester and it's not moving and it's not moving and it's not moving and i don't they don't give me a radio wisely because i should not be allowed to be on the radio copy that so i'm like what is going on you know yeah so i run back across the thing <laughs> and i meet my line producer in the middle and i'm like what the fuck is going on yeah. you know like and they he basically was like the the key grip didn't feel like the camera was safe enough like where they were standing and so they're mounting the camera and they're lashing the, you know, they're tying it down right now. It'll be another 10 minutes. And I'm like, I thought you guys told me we only had five more minutes to get this thing. Like, now we're going to go over and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, like, how did we not? I've said from the beginning, I wanted to get this one shot. It's boarded. Like, we've talked about it. Yeah. We, I remember distinctly being on a tech scout where I said, I want the camera to be right here. Like, how in the hell is this the first time that we're, like, finding out that we need to spend 20 minutes to lash the camera to mm -hmm. the grape harvester. <laughs> like, literally, <laughs> line producer and my first AD were there, and they both were like, you all right? And I was like, yeah, I'm good. Sorry. <laughs> like, I just, you know, like, you know, and they were like, we're fine on time. Everything's cool. And if a camera goes through the middle of a grape harvester, we got a way bigger problem than like spending <laughs> the extra 10 minutes to, you know, to tie it down. And like, of course, like after the next day, I mean, I'm, I'm literally, I did not yell, but I did raise my voice. I was just like, what the fuck? It you sounds know? like a very stressful it situation. It's so stressful. And the agency is like in the van, in like the, you know, like the sprinter van, yeah. like, it's warm and this was it was freezing cold you yeah. know it's just like miserable outside and uh <laughs> and, and they were kind of the agency was kind of like you know what's going on clients late at night like what's happening and i was just feeling this like mounting pressure mounting pressure you yeah know? and i had to circle back around and say like sorry man but i mean the, <laughs> like, the, totally. key, the key there the absolute key there was that the two people that you needed to understand you mm -hmm. and you needed them to react appropriately to your, you know, potentially inappropriate, slightly inappropriate yeah, reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, they needed to meet your anger with like calm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they did. They did. It was fine. And that's a, like the key is that they were the right people for sure for in that moment. 100%. And like, yeah. Because if they responded with some sort of mm -hmm. heat, mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, we'd have we'd have a big problem. I think I think the point of that story is that like I've been continually surprised at how vulnerable directing is. Like mm. you're just in in the same not way that all the, the creative? I, not just in the creative. I think just the the nature of like Leadership. leading yeah. up to a hundred people. Yeah. Um, and then all different kinds of people. So different people who need different things from you, right? Mm -hmm. you, you know, you have an agency and a client who need you to be like really in charge, basically. Like they need to feel like their idea is safe with you. Mm -hmm. And then you have crew who like need to feel like you are going to answer the questions that they need to ask you. Um, it just is a very vulnerable position to like be in and and one that I didn't know much about prior to like because even as a DP I was just very shielded from a lot of that um, real reality of what that pressure felt like 
totally uh, and feels like so that's been <laughs> that's basically you, been the last couple of years is like just getting more and more comfortable with that kind of vulnerability you basically. dance in it well it I, doesn't I, it doesn't push you away no no it doesn't it makes me i like i mean literally my reaction to that day was like i want I need to do this more. I want I want rain machines and weather and like because I fought really hard for this. Like I just want this one moment that feels elevated. And that was a subtext of it too. Is like this is the thing I really pushed for. And I don't push for a lot. Like, but I really pushed for this kind of moment. And like it felt like is this like I asked for this? Is this working? You know, there's all my own kind of insecurities underneath mm-hmm, all of mm-hmm. it. And like I finished that shoot and was like, I want to do that again. Like I want to do that again, like as quickly as possible, because I like I want to flip a car or do something that like takes a lot of coordination. Yeah, because there is a when you can only do it a few times, um, but it's like a, a key moment. Yeah, that's a different kind of pressure than you have three hours to shoot it's as much as possible. It's your climbing without a rope. Yes. It's your free solo. Yes, for sure. And so I like I want to do it, you know, well, as much as possible. Because I, I guess the, the, the bigger question of this whole hour is like, why did you need to direct and why were you comfortable letting go of DP? I would say because there are things I want to say, questions I want to ask, and things I want to be a part of that are best suited by directing. Basically, I want to generate my own projects. That's mm-hmm. the short answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to be responsible for the kind of construction of things, mm-hmm. basically. Um, I loved DPing. I loved coming alongside a director and helping bring his or her vision to life. That's a very enjoyable and fulfilling thing, especially as you get to work with good directors. Yeah, It's a really special moment to like help a director say something yeah Um, but i think for me for better or for worse like i feel like you know there are things i want to say questions i want to ask films i want to make and it's worth the kind of pain of (laughs) um it's in you yeah it's in me and and it has always been has always been i mean you know i've always been but long before i was even a filmmaker i was you know, I had a folder on my desktop of articles or books or ideas or things that would be interesting to explore. Good. Um, so it's always felt like that. It felt like DPing ended up being my kind of grad school, basically. Um, Makes perfect sense which the way you describe great, it. But In terms of, like, last last thought, last question. I do want to circle back and talk about Natalie in particular. Let's do it now. I, I feel Let's like, do it now. okay, because I do think that I, what you asked some specific questions that I think are worth talking about. Sure, um, yeah, definitely. Because I think that Natalie, my experience in her working with Natalie Kingston, mm-hmm. um, who's a DP I've done, one, two, three, four, She just four had a project projects. in Tribeca this week, I yep, believe. Yep, had a movie in Tribeca that her husband um, directed. Oh, I didn't know that part. Yeah, her husband directed. Um, they're both, her husband was actually a DP prior. Um, they met like... Talk about a power couple. Yeah, yeah, oh for God. sure. Like, it's incredible. They're lovely human beings. I just like, and yeah, they're so great. Um, but Natalie, uh, what my first conversations with Natalie, I kind of, speaking of vulnerability, basically just said like... Um, I know myself, and as a DP, I was very comfortable, like, I think for me, I'm not a very, I was never a very precise DP, I was more about the spirit of the image or the moment, basically, so, uh, do I want to spend 10 more minutes 
shaping that window like just a little, you know, like, do I want to spend the time to make it 5% better, 10% better? Or do I want to shoot more and like find the moment within the actual rolling of the camera? For me, I just wanted to shoot. And mm-hmm. so I was, I know the story. I was happy just like letting it go, yeah. basically. And so I told her when I, we started working together that. Um, for me, like, I'm going to want to be done earlier than you are going to want to be done. I'm going to say, looks great. Let's go. And like, I know basically that it's nice that you're calling these things out. I mean, I feel like, I don't know how you wouldn't. People don't. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just, some, some people don't. And so I told, I basically told her like, I'm going to want to be done earlier. Yeah. But I brought you here because you are better than me at making it like that those few things. Are you encouraging her to push on, push back? Yeah. And so I said those few things that you want to do like then are what are going to make it look like you shot it and not me. Like it's going to, it just the poly, I want the polish. It's a great right? self-awareness, man. And so I told her when I start coming, I, w- I can't help coming to you and going like, Hey, how's it going? How much more time do you need? Yeah. When I start asking that question, I will give you another 10 to 15 minutes. And then like, then it's going to turn into like, no, no, we actually need to go. Yeah. I was like, but basically like once I start kind of, you know, chirping in your ear just know you've got like i will 100 percent back away and give you another 10 or 15 minutes but i want you no matter what i tell you that i'm ready to go like do not listen to me yeah yeah (laughs) push back and like take your 15 minutes and like make it better yeah but know that that like basically when i start chirping you should probably prioritize the last handful of things that you want to do because we're getting close yeah 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 yeah, yeah. (laughs) because i don't what i don't want to do is like over shape an image to the detriment of spending time like capturing the performance you know so that's the balance is like always of course i don't want to spend three hours lighting a window and five minutes shooting Mm -hmm. like i want to spend you know find the right balance right so but i and literally on this last (laughs) on this last one um i came to her and was like all right i mean looks amazing let's do it you know and she's like give me 10 minutes and I was like, okay, no problem. And I came back like two minutes later and was like, I'm not necessarily seeing much changing. And like, it looks really great. I'm getting nervous about time. Like for real, this time, can we just go now? And she literally turned and she goes, she was like, you promised me 10 minutes. And I promise you that these 10 minutes are the reason why you hired me. Like, give me my 10 minutes and then I promise we her. will go. And like, sure enough, it was like, I think it was an eye light and then an extra bit of negative and it was like incredible. It looked amazing. You know, it's like my favorite shot of the, the spot that we did together. That's and nice. it was definitely like, those are I love the, that it's your favorite shot. It's just, and it was, it's because like we fought for it. And I feel like that my knowing myself, like I, my tendency is to like, you know, I, it looks great. 99% of people aren't going to care. I don't care. Let's go. You mm-hmm. know, but I do think that like, if you can have, I, as a director, I'm forcing myself to work with collaborators who want, like, they want it to be literally as good as it possibly can can be because collectively then, yeah. same thing with my production designers, like, that's how you elevate, 100%. you know? And I'm realizing that that's, like, a role as a director as well is, like, finding people who want to elevate everything. And if you get all the people around you who want to elevate everything, then, like, you can make something really cool, you know? 
Totally. Yeah. No, I'm glad you 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 fought <laughs> to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give it one minute, just two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, now getting to the All last right, question yeah. is that because um, you had brought it up before, like when we start when we last spoke, you were at a um, a DP directing transition, and now it sounds like you might be at a commercial narrative transition, or not that you're going completely away from commercials, but you're trying to have narrative be more of where how do you feel yourself navigating that genre switch because i do feel or genre addition because i do feel like that's something a, a lot of people that i know personally are trying to do narrative for a lot of people is that you know holy grail um how do you find yourself navigating those waters it's really tough it feels very similar actually to the to the DP, like directing transition. Really? Yeah, it feels very similar because on the commercial side, um, basically like if you extrapolate the commercial ranges that I'm directing, mm -hmm. it would be about a like 20 to $30 million studio film. Right. On the movie side. Yeah, in terms of the height in a, in a specific genre. The, yeah, like if you were to kind of, that's, if we just did what Industry we were doing, on the com yeah, if we were just totally. doing what we were doing on the commercials for 35 days, it, it would, would cost be a, that, that. Yeah. And so, um, but for me right now, I'm working on my first feature, mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be like a micro budget, tiny, sure. you know, little, well, you go back down movie. a couple of rungs. So every you time. drop way back down yeah. to the very beginning. And yeah. I think, I think the thing that is most revelatory to me, I would say what I've learned the most about commercials was that it's, the the infrastructure people are who help accomplish that mm -hmm. but for the most part the commercial space is very much separate from the film and tv space like those are two different silos yes. two different groups of people two different groups and kinds of producers there's an occasional crossover but for the most part like you could literally win you could climb to the top of the pile on the commercial side and that won't translate at all to mm -hmm the film and TV side. Um, and so I think for me, the realization and the effort now is continuing to kind of work on commercials, but also like begin the effort and building in the film and TV side with those same, like finding the right infrastructure people and beginning to like kind of spend the next however many years like working in that silo least, yeah you now you just have more insight into what the steps are just exactly and so i'm literally the the first step <laughs> is to make a micro budget feature that i can like have because the diff the number of people that talk about making features and the number of people who have made one feature like is astronomical yes and so and then the difference of people who have made one feature versus have made made two is also astronomical like those are two of the largest like gaps kind of gaps and so two to three is a much smaller gap two to three much smaller because once you've made two it's like okay yeah. like you plan on being around for a while yeah and so i think for me i'm literally that's what i'm doing right now i have to close the first gap and make my first feature i have while also having a plan for the second one you kind of have to have a plan for the second because if that first one hits you need to, you be, need ready. to be ready for the second yeah. one and so that's that's literally what the next two years are going to be for me is mm -hmm. is trying to kind of make one and two to get that kind of uh momentum happening in that space so my god well that sounds <laughs> it's that terrifying sounds about, man that sounds about right on time for the next time you're gonna be That's called right. back yeah exactly two to three years yeah, from now yeah, yeah. hopefully i have two movies and hopefully like a plan this, for the this, third this uh podcast hasn't hasn't uh, taken another hiatus that's right and uh 
we'll have you back. Oh my god! But no, this this was great, man. I'm cool. I'm excited that the that the show is back. I thought that having you on would be the logical, yeah, the logical choice. Um, just because you were one of the first five when we initially launched, and also, I mean, the trajectory that you've been on since we last spoke. So it just it makes perfect sense. I'm so glad that you were open and down to do it. Oh my and gosh, of I course. Mean, you know, I think the last hour, it, it's. It's so fascinating and exciting to see the road you're on, man. And I just thank you for, for, for talking uh, about thanks it. Thanks for having me, man. I, yeah, it's a very... I love the fact that none of our careers are static. Mm-hmm. Like, we're always moving, you know? And, totally. and like, I think it's it's um, it's one of the valuable things about having these kind of conversations is they, they you know, looking back, they mean something looking back, you know, a couple of years from now. And it's very interesting to see how people grow and that that's like a you know, growth is going to be a part of everyone's career. Um, and that that's like something to embrace, even though it necessarily means that you, you move from places of going like, yeah, I think I have a decent idea of kind of what's happening. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a new place and you're like, Oh my God, (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. That's good Um, though. But that's, that's, it's cyclical. And then, and I think in a, it's a really healthy and cyclical thing. If, if things become too complacent, and if you just start to atrophy because you're not getting challenged, yeah, um, you know, water needs to keep flowing otherwise. Yeah, yeah for sure. Diseases and, <laughs> and, and muck. That's a, good, that's a good metaphor. Exactly. There you go. That's it. There you go. So flow like water, right? Flow like water. That's yeah. right. Or get an iodine tablet, whatever you want. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, man. Total pleasure. Thanks. Thanks.